Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. Today's episode is a continuation on a conversation with Dr. Marcus Felsen of Texas State University on guardianship during the current pandemic and routine activity theory. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. And I wanted to run a couple other things by you, Marcus, while we're on, the, on this podcast. And one is, um, we're looking at, and we talked about guardianship, of course, quite a bit now, um, but there are three levels that we're kind of paying attention to. One is that uh, in those stores that are open versus closed, uh, obviously the closed stores are very vulnerable right now, and many of the closed stores um, are not designed to ever be closed. They're 24-hour stores, so they have, they're not secured as well as normal. Um, they may not have even some of the simplest or certainly not adequate protective technologies. Uh, and there's nobody there. There's no people, uh, guardians there and, and no place managers or any other type of guardian. Uh, there's no, there are no incidental guardians uh, inside or in many cases, very few, if any, outside the building. And then finally, you know, law enforcement has had to prioritize so heavily, especially as some of them have been affected. Um and then the same thing in the stores that are open. We're seeing sort of a, an erosion of guardianship at those three levels. The, the place guardians and their technology, um, the incidental guardians, the, the patrons, and so forth, and delivery people, and then finally law enforcement or others. Um, any thoughts around that? those observations we think we're seeing? Yes. I will say there are some things to look, be on the lookout for. Uh, one is where are the entries? Are they front, side, back? Um, and where are the burglaries? Where do burglars enter? And um, it, you may find that those stores, which have multiple possible entries, are the ones that get burgled. Whereas the ones, if it's in the front, there's a more of a chance of natural surveillance with someone seeing it. There's also a question of mixed land use. Um, if the stores that are op- uh, that are closed are mixed in with stores that are open, there's still some surveillance perhaps. Uh, and now it mixed in with residential areas. It's a very mixed bag because often the offenders can go from the residential area into the uh, and break in at night or day. And I'd be on the lookout for whether there's a shift in daytime versus nighttime commercial burglary. And also, I'd be on the lookout for wealthier areas where people have vacation homes and they go out there. The, the vacation home thing is a very interesting issue here because um, usually vacation homes are burgled out of season. And then maybe perhaps the uh, uh, the main home is burgled in season while people are at their vacation home or whatever, away on vacation. And 
this might be turned on its head uh, because uh, people uh, going uh, counter season uh, in response to the uh, pandemic. Um, there's there are uh, other issues. We are getting some signs that New York City and uh, is getting more commercial break-ins. And I can't remember whether I learned that from from you or where I learned that, but I will say that I think there's a population density issue here, that if population density is great, then you basically only have mixed land use. So all of the stores and all of the industries and all the uh, temporarily abandoned properties will have somebody living near there. Um, so I would be on the lookout for that. And I have a few more things. One of the things is to be, be on the lookout for where, first of all, find out where your local teenagers hang out, particularly in public. Uh, sometimes it's in hidden from view, but people may know about it. Is it, um, in Northern Europe, the, the, there are party barns and sheds where people even in semi-rural areas where young people go and they basically get drunk there. And so there may be places like that also in urban areas where there are abandoned properties. Those are used for that. In Europe, there aren't many abandoned properties because of cost of real estate. We don't have many abandoned properties either in our in our growing cities, but in our receding cities and deteriorating cities, we have lots of abandoned properties, and they tend to be often are converted to hangouts and criminal purposes, and so places near there then are vulnerable. And there's another version. There's a, a kind of a good weather version, particularly in Sunbelt cities in the U.S., and I believe will apply in some other countries where. Uh, creek beds and other and wooded areas within a metro metropolis can hide illegal activity and people can converge there and hang out there and then places near there are vulnerable for crime so you have a variety of issues there uh, the changing use of the transit system is very important and with the transit oh, yeah. system you'll You'll have areas that were formerly dense with use uh, with passengers that are now sparse, and there may be less um, uh, guardianship there. But there be uh, so, you, and there's also there may be a shift in timing. Some of the transit systems are only transporting people during restricted hours. And so, or even closing down. So those issues are going to be relevant for uh, for attacks on business properties uh, and elsewhere. That's interesting stuff. Um, and uh, Marcus, we have, uh, I mentioned to you before, we're having these calls with clusters of retailers. Uh, we're, we're throwing out some guiding or focus type questions, but mostly getting out of their way. And they are, it's amazing what they're seeing and what they're sharing. Uh, but one is reporting, one of the major retailers is reporting that they've had HVAC systems uh, that have been hit for copper, which we've not seen for a while. I don't know if there's some 
pending or now increased demand for copper, which, as you know, tends to drive copper theft. I didn't know if you had any thoughts around around that. Well, the, normally the price of copper drives the theft of copper. However, um, if uh, errors are abandoned and you can still hold out of copper easily, um, even if it's half the price, but you can steal twice as much, you're still, it's still profitable and the risk is less. So there, the, this may explain that in part. And I would, uh, definitely, uh, think about that. The other thing is there may be uh, some, um, some copper theft, most, much of it is done by, um, uh, well, let's think about a few things. First of all, copper theft can be dangerous if there are live systems, particularly live wires. And there are people who have been electrocuted doing, uh, with copper theft. But if the, if the electricity's off or if the easy sources are there, then that may explain it. Um, it's not... Uh, it, um, it's not uh, something I, uh, and I'm not sure where they fence it, and that may be the bigger um, issue. It, I'm not sure it's the same offenders either. It may be uh, there are a variety of offenders who've stolen copper. Uh, so um, uh, I would pay a little attention to who, when there is an arrest, who gets arrested or who they think it is, you may look at the cameras and see if there there is some shift in who they are. You may find some middle-class people doing this now. And um, there is a, it raised an issue, by the way, of need, the issue of need. There's a long time theory that poverty causes crime, which is largely false in a modern society, but it can have some truth when there are some crimes of desperation, and but most crimes in a middle-class society are not desperation. Most most crimes, on the, however, there are people who are drug deeply dependent on drugs, and you might say desperation is part of it. But people are, in general, in a middle-class society, more likely to steal steaks than potatoes. Uh, you don't see many people stealing potatoes now. If it's hard to get food and people are truly desperate, sure, they can steal potatoes. And in a poor society, an example from uh, in a poor society, people will steal toilet paper. Um, but a middle class society, they will not normally steal toilet paper. But if they can't get toilet paper, they may steal it. So the, the, a lot of things change in this kind of an unusual situation where people, the mix of what people steal may be different. Um, and uh, that's something to be on the lookout for. The only thing I'll mention before I go on, um, normally an academic is suspicious of, um, uh, suspicious of impressionistic data and informal reports. And we want the formal data and the formal uh, measurement and meet a lot of the criteria. But this is a time when informal reports um, are valuable. 
and likely to be accurate. Now, they may not be accurate for everywhere, but they're likely to be a, 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 provide a substantial and useful piece of the puzzle. And reason for that is the changes are so dramatic that you were not talking about a 2% change and is it really 1%? We're, we're talking about 20, 30, 40, 50%, sometimes 100% transformation of a prime pattern. And an anecdotal report is much better. And I would explain this. And by the way, this is defensible statistically. If this, if the standard deviation is zero, then the standard error is zero. If the standard deviation is very small, then the standard error is very small. So that means you need a very small end. You need very few cases. And if every detective is set in your city is saying we don't see X anymore, I would take that as a, maybe not gospel as, but as almost surely true. So take your anecdotal stuff, and as long as you try to pin somebody down and say, okay, where? They say burglary is down. Well, where? Is it commercial or residential? Is it in mixed land? You said, if you ask the follow-up questions, you're going to get pretty good data by talking to me. Good feedback, uh, Marcus. And, and you touched on during that, and that's great, using the probing questions, on um, sort of poverty question. And, and a couple things have come out, too, around the homeless issue. One is when we ask them about burglaries, um, open or not open stores, what type of neighborhoods are you in? What's open or closed proximate to that store and so on? Um, but you're hearing different things. In one case, they're seeing uh, a cluster, and particularly in urban areas, of these smash and grab types of burglaries. Uh, but when they do the video review, it looks to be transient or homeless people that whether they're desperate or not is unknown, but they don't look like they're systematic burglars. Well, yeah. Remember, most burglars aren't systematic burglars. Most of the peak age of burglaries are about 17. Now, there are um, burglars who are more systematic, but even they aren't. I mean, burglary is not really a rocket science or a crime. Most crime isn't. And uh, sometimes two guys are breaking in houses and they have a little bit of a modus operandi, but you're not talking. So, uh, you know, think, think small. Think um, disorganized. Think easy. Think simple. So, okay, a guy smashes and grabs something and goes. Um, the homeless, I, I do want to say something about the homeless issue. The homeless have a lower threshold of what they'll steal. Um, there are people who, there are people who couldn't be bothered to steal, uh, food or to steal a few, to steal uh, dollars in change out of your car. Uh, but are, are certainly stealing things, but they wouldn't bother with that. A homeless people person is more likely to bother with that and maybe to bother with something from the store uh, uh, that's uh, relatively smaller. And uh, so you do find some variations. Of, in Think of floor and ceiling effects. 
there are people who will still have a higher floor of what they'll steal and people have a lower floor and there, then the ceiling effects, there are, there are some ceiling effects, uh, um, where people would, will steal a bit, but there are people who will steal the paper clips from the office and a, the stapler, a stapler, but won't steal the typewriter. But there are people who would never bother with the sta- staples, but would steal the stapler. So you, you get some foreign ceiling effects, and that may show more in the pandemic because of the changing situation. Um, there's a lot of theft of medical supplies and what's related to it and um, and hoarding, that sort of thing. But some of the, the hoarding isn't necessarily illegal, but the theft is. And so you get some uh, variations like that that you can be on the lookout for. Um, I would pay attention to whether youths are hanging out differently. Or at all? Are they sneaking away from home? Are they? What are the age patterns? What are the places? And there's another homeless thing I forgot to tell you. I picked up an anecdotal bit from Seattle that the homeless there are expanding into areas where they'll hang out because there's nobody there to uh, nobody owns the area anymore because there's nobody working there, and. So the geography of homeless may change, and hence the geography of where they any problems they cause, and including theft. Um, the geography of um, uh, teenagers w- may change, where they that you may find they're stealing things locally, but they aren't ranging very widely. So all of this is is worth analysis. Now it's going to be harder for us to get some of that geography fast, because uh, that takes some mapping and so on. But there is a fast way to do it without mapping. Um, but it is de facto mapping. It's a kind of a statistical mapping. Namely, um, if, you, if you have for the block groups or police districts or some other numbers, code numbers for those districts, you can have a, a before and after and see whether there's a shift in which areas have the reported problems. And then if you know your local city, you'll probably figure out right away what it is. By the way, I recommend not before and after, but more like three groups, maybe even four, where it's kind of before the impact of the pandemic and the lockdowns during in a transition period when people are moving towards changing their, you know, have to change, but haven't yet fully done so. And then and after, and if you've got about three periods and you look at the changing districts or changing stores, if you're a company, you may find that the stores being broken into are different before and after. And that there may be a pattern according to how proximate they are, uh, or the warehouses, how proximate they are to a residential area. That's good. Another dynamic to run by you, um, Marcus, is, um, and we've got two or three more here. What is a, um, sort of the natural surveillance that we used to get from customers or don't 
uh, now. Uh, but the many of the stores rapidly uh, switched to what they call BOPIS, right? Buy online, pick up in store, or return in store. Um, and so you've moved, you now go to a skeleton crew, you move that crew to the front of the store, um, and they will go and fetch things and, and for, or forward move them up and, and stage them. Um, and so what they're saying now is while they have fewer cars and things in the parking lot, that their parking lot incidents have dropped almost zero because the few employees they do have are right there looking out and there's a lot of activity in the front of that, in that store, in that pickup zone. Well, that that's actually quite interesting, and it may lead to something. Uh, I would expect a reduction in attacks on the cars, usually thefts from cars. Um, now, that depends on how big the store and how big the lot and so forth. You may have more of employee theft of certain things. Um, uh and um, you you know and so I think that that may be an issue. There's less. It's harder to shoplift when there's less crowding, and there's a uh, the checkout is kind of simpler. So um, I think you're gonna you, you probably see some changes there. And I don't know how good the loss prevention stats are, but if they have statistics store by store and if they have statistics on the items that are, are you know, for loss of items, then um, shrinkage statistics, they may be able to ascertain changes. Uh, one thing about shrinkage is since shrinkage, of course, can be spoilage and breaking of things. Um, some stores, uh, and Reed, you'll know the answer to this, some stores will, some companies will be able to distinguish spoilage from theft in their statistics, and other companies will not. But the spoilage um, issues completely change with the pandemic because uh, which items, you know, how fast they're getting them out and that sort of thing. And I don't know that area. So I would be cautious to try to reevaluate your, your shrinkage stats to see whether, um, there really is, uh, how, what kind of theft there or shoplifting they're measuring. And also this, the, the, the issue of distinguishing employee theft from shoplifting may be relevant. And you may have stores where shoplifting becomes impossible. So any, theft, any uh, shrinkage that's not uh, spoilage is going to be employee theft. A great point in that. Um, in one case, uh, the retailers were discussing their supply chain. Uh, they have special loss prevention or asset protection people for the supply chain. Typically, they're the distribution centers and trucks and so forth. Um, that they have special cages in the D, in the distribution centers, the DCs uh, or fulfillment centers, and of course in the stores, particularly for electronics things that are craved, right? But uh, now with cleaning products, they and even toilet paper, as we've seen, they've now wait. Are we supposed to now put cleaning products in there they've seen employee pilferage many of the retailers are adapting and adjusting 
to take care of the employees. Look, you can have some of these sanitary or hygiene items. Uh, we're going to gift them to you. Uh, so they're trying to adjust their employee um, handling or their procedures with them too. And their benefit packages, just so you know, to adjust and adapt to that dynamic. One, one other thing I was going to bring up, one last thing is, um, th and this was really interesting, that some of the retailers on these calls have stores in the United States and in Canada. Um, and, and in some cases, a lot of stores in both countries. Um, their general impression right now, particularly in the Toronto area, is that there's a different, different definition and seriousness, at least, is what they believe right now as far as if somebody aggressively coughs at or on an employee or another customer to get a better place in line or the, they don't like what's going on um, or coughing on items, doing things intentionally. In the United States, it was very quickly identified or it seemed to be defined as even a, an act of terror and that the state, federal, local authorities would take it very seriously and have made arrests. In Canada. In which country? In the United in States. In the U.S. Yes, but they've not seen the similar response uh, in Canada, and they believe they have escalated events there. So, again, this is anecdotal coming from the retailers, from the from what they're seeing. Well, that's interesting. I mean, look, we've got a comparison with two cases, and we there are lots of things differing between the countries, but I think it may have to do with higher rates right now in the U.S. of COVID and also uh, more mismanagement at the federal level. Um, but uh, uh, and uh, but my, my, my suspicion, well, why don't I say what I think is next? I would pay a great deal of attention to public disorder crimes, some of them not even crimes, just public disorder, whether they're define this crime or not, and the composition of public disorder. And I don't remember whether I get, went into this in the last uh, segment a couple days ago, but um, I'm getting, this is a third type of public disorder I'm aware of, there are three or four, why don't I start off? One of them is that police are giving people instructions and confronting people on this, like go home, what are you doing here, and so forth. And so that produces a confrontation in some cases. And if people resist verbally or otherwise, it can be reported as it's disorderly conduct, resisting police, uh, disobeying police order, whatever it is. And that will differ how it's coded and how precisely it's coded. Sometimes there will be a narrative that will explain what the arrest was or what the report was. And there are indications of major increases in that. The second type is while people are home and in the residential area, a certain number of their uh, within household uh, conflicts and conflicts between neighbors can spill out in the streets and become a public order issue. So police then, instead of going perhaps to the, the entertainment district for a public order uh, issue, they may end up in a residential area dealing with it. And uh, this may happen if people are drinking too much and so forth. Um, and the third you've mentioned is people actually 
doing aggressive things, using the COVID to scare other people, whether it's in the store or anywhere else. And that, and there may be other types of public disorder issues that are emerging. Sometimes people coughing, not overtly trying or intentionally, but in disregard of other people and somebody complaining. So these kinds of things um, are going to be there and many other public disorder crimes will go way down, such as uh, a whole bunch of them that occur in the entertainment district and others that occur near schools. So great feedback today. Um, and uh, trust me, uh, all very much appreciated here. Uh, we've got more of these cluster calls coming up. And as I mentioned before, Marcus, we're striving to uh, enable the retailers to systematically collect the data. They do uh, make apprehensions normally. They do code uh, a, a lot about the, uh, the events as well as the items that were stolen and targeted. Now, that's all, all over the place right now. There's a lot of people furloughed, employees in this case, um, some of the normally formal reporting that takes place, I suspect this may happen elsewhere too in law enforcement, but it's not being coded as carefully. So it's, it's going to hinder us a lot uh, in the effort to collect the data for them. But um, we're doing our best. We've developed a couple instruments that we're asking them to help participate in um, now and then post COVID. So um, we will be back in touch with all that. Um, so I want to thank you on behalf of our team and, and uh, all these in 68 retail chains that are fighting the good fight to help us um, get together out there. So Marcus, um, be safe to you and your family uh, and Mary. And um, please, anytime you've got something of interest, send it our way and we will do the same. Can I urge you to ask your network if they see any sign of change in where the teams are hanging out? or if they're hanging out. Absolutely. So we want to know where the offenders or potential offenders no, are. No, the teenagers. Okay. Exactly. Where your vendors, do they see teenagers hanging out at the edge of their store still or any change in that or new, new hangouts? Okay. Because that's going to affect the theft patterns and burglaries and so on. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Be, be safe. And uh, we will be back in touch. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Ellis Prevention Research Council.